How are we doing today, church? Good. It's a good day to be in church. I better preach good now, you know. I better be a good message. Um, we're continuing our series, Via Della Rosa. And uh, just a quick reminder, is this, this series is focusing on the path of pain that Jesus went on, the, the path of pain that he went on for us as we make our way to Easter. And I'm sure you've noticed and continue to notice that the stage lights have remained white, the screens have remained at grayscale as we are pausing from the color. We're, we're taking a break and almost fasting from that to keep our focus on Jesus in this season. And so first week we talked about Jesus's triumphant entry into the city as he entered the city and what was to come and as they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, and last week we discussed his teachings of his disciples and as he as he went to the religious leaders and, and rebuked some and taught some and then this week we're talking about the Lord's table the Last Supper and it's a very important a very important piece of scripture um, it's a very important dinner that's about to happen in the history of humanity and I ask you this question have you ever had a, a really important meal that you've had to prepare for you know, like you, you've had somebody like, really important coming over or like maybe like Thanksgiving dinner. We all get really worked up for that, that it has to be perfect. Um, I've, I've had those. I've never cooked at them, um, but I've attended a lot of them. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure that goes around these meals. And I, I remember one, I was thinking back to uh, a time where there was this really important meal where my whole family had gathered together, and first time in a long time, and we sat down for Thanksgiving, and the whole family's just having this amazing time. And then one of the kids in the family starts to get a little disruptive, right? You know, it starts to get a little disruptive, and the parents like, hey, hey, stop it. And the other parents like, let him be, you know, and this is where it starts. Like, ah. And they, they start going back and forth, but this kid keeps going and just getting really worked up. So the mom has to, like, discipline her. And all of a sudden, she stands up at the dinner table, stomps her feet, and screams at the top of her lungs. You know, I just saw the mom's eyes, like, rage. You know, she stood up from this table and at that moment, dinner was about to change. And it changed in a drastic way. When mom stood up, the poor girl took off and go, went to run out the door. But she didn't know that there was a glass door. She ran right through the glass door. And our dinner table grew. We had the, the, the police department there, the fire department, the ambulance. What happened? I mean, the, the dinner changed. Our vision of what the dinner should have been changed. And what we're going to read today as we dive into Luke 22 is that at this dinner, at this table where Jesus is teaching and talking, the, the perspective of the people, people at the table, that dinner changes for them. So let's dive into it. Luke 22, verse 7. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb was sacrificed. Remember, they're celebrating Passover as a community now. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. It's important to remember that this is a family celebration. This is the time where families would gather together and celebrate Passover together. And Jesus is with his disciples, these men who had abandoned everything to follow Jesus. They, they had forsaken family members. They had forsaken jobs to follow Jesus. So it's important that Jesus is eating this Passover meal with the disciples because he's saying, this is my family. You, you've forsaken much, but you're coming and following me. You are now part of my family. And it's so great for us to hear this as believers. 
Because I know a lot of us, whenever we talk about family or you know, fathers or mothers, we have hurts and past. Maybe even our current family is a struggle right now and it's not, we don't celebrate it, but in the family of Jesus, we are all in common by the blood and sacrifice of him. That even no matter what happens in our, our earthly family, we are invited and brought into this perfect family in Jesus Christ. It's important that he's celebrating with his disciples. Um, verse 10 says this, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, he's telling these disciples, you two go ahead, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitch of, pitcher of water will meet you, follow him, follow him at the house he enters. Really important here because the, a, a man carrying a pitcher of water on his head at this time in this, this period of life was uncommon. This was usually the wife's job or a woman's job. And so a man carrying a pitcher on his head would be out of the ordinary. Jesus says, go find him and follow him to the house. And then in verse 11, it says, say to the owner, the teacher asked where his guest room, where, where he can eat the Passover meal with his disciples. Verse 12, really important here. He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. If you've got your Bibles underlined, already set up. Then uh, th that is where you should prepare the meal. They went off to the city, found everything. They found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal. It's really easy for us to look at this piece of scripture and just glance over it. But and miss something really important here. There's miracles in this piece of scripture. That Jesus was able to say, find a man with a pitcher on his head, go to his house, and the table, the dinner table, will already be set. This is a miracle. This is an amazing act. And so many times we get, in our Christian life, we get so caught up in searching for these big, gigantic miracles, we miss the little miracles that Jesus is doing in each of us. We miss these things, that, these things that we might just write off to circumstance or happenstance, but they're a miracle that is from Jesus. Best way I've ever heard this put was, you've, you've heard this story, the man who falls into the hole and he believes in Jesus and he says, I believe Jesus will get me out of this hole. I'm gonna pray a bold prayer. I'm gonna pray that Jesus sends a ladder. That Jesus will send a ladder and the ladder will appear in this hole and I will climb out. So he begins to pray. He begins to pray, and as he's praying, while he's praying for this ladder, a man comes up and peeks over the side. He says, hey, do you need help? No, Jesus is going to send a ladder. Then another man walks by and says, hey, I got a rope. No, I'm waiting on the ladder. Then he dies, goes to heaven. He stands before Jesus. He's like, Jesus, I believed in you. I, want, I, I prayed for a ladder. He said, I sent someone. And then when you didn't do that, I sent a rope. And then you didn't do that. Because sometimes when we are looking for specific ways of how Jesus should answer our prayers, we miss the miracle right in front of us. We miss what he's doing right in front of us. So I don't want us to glance over. I mean, the, the fact that this table is set up already, that it's prepared for what Jesus is about to do is a miracle. Um, and then continue to go here. They're ready for the meal, they're about to eat, but we ask this question, are they ready? Like they think they're just going into this traditional Passover meal. Are they ready? 
This is the first time Jesus and his disciples have a moment to take a break. They, they've been, people have been chasing them and people have been planning things about what they're gonna do with Jesus. And he has his disciples alone in this room for the first time in a long time. And it says this in verse 14. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you, now that I won't eat this meal again until the meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Meaning he's telling his disciples that this is the last time we will celebrate this together until you join me in heaven. That until until, until the, the meaning of what we're about to celebrate happens, this is the last time we're gonna do it until you join me in heaven, until the kingdom of God comes. It's a very important statement, he says. And then what he begins to do after this moment, he takes the bread, he prays over the bread, and he breaks it. And he says, every time you gather, every time you get together, do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread and remember that my body was broken for you. That, that his body was about to be beaten and flogged and pierced for us. So he takes the bread and he breaks it. And then he takes the wine and he holds it up, he blesses it, and then he says, and this is representing my blood that is about to be shed for you. My blood that's gonna be poured out that will be the covering of your sins. That the, the, the Passover meaning will change because I will become the eternal lamb that will be the sacrifice for all of your sins for all of eternity. This is such, we call this communion. When we as believers gather and we take of the bread and we take of the juice, we're remembering what his body went through for us and what his blood meant to us. And I just wanna encourage you real quick, we have something coming up on Good Friday where we do this together. We take time on that Good Friday, the day that we, we remember the pain and suffering that Jesus went through on the cross, we're gonna take time to take communion together. It's one of my favorite things we do as a church. The whole Good Friday experience with the stations that you'll go to, it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal time. So I just wanna challenge you. If you're on the edge of should we do Good Friday, should we not, you should. It's a life-changing experience. Verse 20 says this. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. This new covenant that Jesus speaks of. What's this new covenant he's talking about? He speaks of the new covenant meaning that with his death and resurrection, this, his death on the cross and his resurrection from the tomb, three days later, he becomes this eternal lamb, like I said, and we now will be able to live under a new covenant where our sins and how we repent of our sins will be different. Uh, what the, the law that we're under is different. Jesus becomes enough here. He becomes enough to cover all of humanity's failures, all of humanity's sins. Verse 21, but here at this table, setting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. Man, Jesus speaks of this new covenant this sacrifice, what he's about to do, and I wonder, the disciples are leaning in, like, oh my gosh, this sounds so radical, this is crazy, and then he follows up, but, but sitting here at this table is someone who's in, uh, pretending to be a friend, and he will betray me, for it has been determined that the Son of Man must die, but what sorrow 
awaits the one who betrays him. At this moment, the disciples begin to ask each other, which of them would ever do such a thing? I'm gonna, I'm gonna ruin it for some of you. The, the person who's sitting at the table, his name's Judas. <laughs> Judas. Uh, and he's sitting at the table. And I, can you imagine what it's like when they start like, who could ever do such a thing? Oh my goodness, the disciples and Judas is probably like, uh-oh. How does he know? I mean, how, how does he know this? Because think, Judas, what he does is he betrays Jesus for a cash prize. So obviously he doesn't believe at his core that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the king, or he wouldn't have betrayed him for such a small amount. He obviously doesn't think that, but in this moment where Jesus says, one of you will do it, he's probably having that uh-oh moment. And it says this in Matthew 26, uh, verse 25, Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? Am I the one, Jesus? Like, <laughs> what a silly question. You know, are you sure? Like, uh, do you really know, or are you just speculating? Am I the one? And Jesus' response is so great here. You have said it. You said it. How many parents have ever got their kids in trouble like this? Like, uh, Am I in trouble, mom? Well, you said it. You know, my daughter has this thing that she does. My wife convinced my daughter that every time she lies, her eyes turn green. And um, she has brown eyes. So when she thinks she lies, her eyes will turn green. So she'll do this thing where she'll come out and she'll say something and she'll say, mom, are my eyes green? Are my eyes green? You know, it's just, kids are funny. And you know, I think about a time where I was in student ministry where we had an event and one time the student, uh, students vandalized the building and they had put paint on the wall. And I remember, I knew which kind of group it was, but I didn't know specifically who it was. And I, I remember lining them up, and I'm going back, like, was it you? Was it you? And I'm, like, looking deep in their eyes, like, oh, nah. yeah. And I get to one, and I'm like, was it you? It's like, no, it wasn't me. But he's got his hands behind his back. He's like, it wasn't me. And then he goes to itch his head. He scratches his head, and it's just covered in paint. You know, I'm like, okay, it's you. It's you. I mean, it's just so, humanity's funny in this way. See, and what I see from this, what, what you can get from this, from this piece of scripture, when Judas is in the presence of Jesus, he's still trying to hide. He knows what he's done. He's already made the decision. But even in that moment where Jesus calls him out, he's still trying to hide. How many times do we do this? That when we're in the presence of Jesus, there's things in our life that we're still trying to hide. Jesus, you can have this, but I hope you don't see this. Jesus, you can have this part of my life. You can have this socially acceptable part, but not this part where people might get mad at me. You know, here's the truth. We need to realize this, that Jesus sees you to your core. He, he sees everything you've ever done. He's seen the mistakes that you've made. He's seen the sins you committed, and he still loves you. He still died for you. So why would we try to keep it from him when he already knows it? The only way we can find healing is by digging it out of that dark corner and saying, here you go, Jesus. Here you go. Wait, we don't need to hide from it. He sees us where we're at. And the, the crazy thing about Judas is when you read the story of this, it's obvious that Judas had a price for the life of Jesus. He had a price where he determined that this amount was worth betraying Jesus. You know, 30 silver coins was worth trading in Jesus for. And we can read the story of Judas and we just, a lot of times as Christians, we're like, oh, Judas, you're the worst. 
We're like pointing a finger at him, like, oh, how could you, Judas? How could you do this to Jesus? But it's easy when we remember when we're pointing one finger, there's three of them pointing back at us. And there, there's a lot of similarities that we carry to Jesus, as, I mean, with Judas. Because if we, we're honest with ourselves, we have selling points as well. We have selling points that we'll build this moral compass in our life. We'll go to Jesus and say, here's my boundaries. Here's how I want to live. Here's the holiness I want to walk in until certain things happen. Maybe like this one. First one, what level of affection does it cost you to sell? When, like, when someone is gonna be mad at you for the hard decision, or someone, you know, if they like me, it's gonna be really good for me, so I'm willing to step over my line so people will be happy with me? What level of affection is it with your, your spouse or your family that you're willing to step out of your morality, outside of what Jesus calls you to live in to make people happy, this people-pleasing mindset? Or what about this one? What, what level of influence and power would it take for you to sell? I mean, like, what if I, I hear it all the time? Like, I, I have these moral boundaries. I built my company off of this, but for just once, I have to step over the line. I, I need to do this one thing. I need to hurt this one person, but it's going to be better for the company for the future. I, I got to step outside of this and maybe lie and stretch the truth to, to the board so they won't catch us where we're at. See, we have selling prices in our life. Uh, pleasure. What, what, where's the pleasure selling price for you? Where it's like you're, you're trying to live your life to glorify Jesus, but eventually you get to a point where you say, I deserve a break. I deserve a break. I, I've been working so hard. You don't know how hard my life is. You don't know how hard my home life is. I deserve to escape. I deserve this break. And we'll step over that line. We'll, we'll have our selling price. And this, one, this last one I think speaks so clearly to us and just the church as a whole. What level of revenge or anger will it take? What level of revenge to, or anger towards somebody will it take for us to cross that line, to sell our morality and sell our, our passion for Jesus for even just a moment? They deserve it, Shane. You don't know how bad this person hurt me. You don't know how bad and mean these things they said about me. They deserve it. You know, the truth is, is I might not know, but Jesus knows. And Jesus was spit on, he was mocked, he was cursed, and he was whipped and he was beaten and he went to a cross still. He, and he, he rose again still so we could spend eternity with heaven. As Christ followers, we are called to live different than the world's standards. We can't have selling points in our life that we go back and forth of like, I'm, I'm all in, I'm all in, but until this happens, then I'll sell. Verse 24 says this. Then they began to argue amongst themselves about who would be the greatest among them. How did the disciples go straight to this? Like, Jesus is talking about this plan to save the world. Do this in remembrance of me. By the way, one of you guys that I've been living with for years is going to betray me, and they go to, but who's going to set at his right hand? Who's going to get the, the authority? Who's going to get the celebration? Who's going to be the disciple that's left in charge? You can see humanity a lot in this. They're sitting in the presence of Jesus with only a few moments left on earth with him, and this is where their conversation goes. Jesus responds with this. In this world, the kings 
and the great men lord over it. They're people, yet they are called friends to the people, but among you, among you, among the believers, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be a servant. What Jesus is painting a picture of, he's still saying, you still don't get it. That the kingdom of heaven, the hierarchy of heaven is different. If you want to be the leader, you need to be last. You need to be the servant to all. If you want greatness, it starts at the back, not at the front. They, they, they don't understand what he's saying. In this moment, they still want the power. They want the authority. They start getting into the what ifs. Well, if Jesus is leaving, what are we going to do? Who's going to lead us? Who's going to teach us? The main thing is that they didn't hear him. They lost focus. They lost focus on what Jesus was really there to talk about. They went somewhere else in their minds. It's easy for us to lose focus as well when Christ is calling us to stay focused on what he's saying. Stay focused on him with how we're living. Stay focused on him of how we should be responding. There's three things that helps us stay focused. We need to check ourselves in this. Number one, we need to make sure that Jesus has our heart. That, that, that everything inside of us is surrendered to Jesus. That he completely has our heart. That there's no idols in our life like we talked about last week. There's nothing that is above him in our life. That Jesus owns our heart. Because that's the difference in Judas. Jesus, Judas didn't give him his heart. He wasn't fully committed. The second thing to help us keep on focus is we need to make sure that he has our devotion he has our devotion, that he, our life and our decisions, we are following him. We are devoted to him. That the first thing that pops in our head is worship to the king. Not the what ifs, not just I'm here for Jesus. He needs to have our devotion. And the third is he needs to have our mission. He needs to have your plan be his plan. He, he, he needs to have your day belong to him. He needs your year to belong to him. I, I wonder how many times when we get into our five-year planning and 10-year planning sessions that we get into, the young adults in here are like, what? Uh, you know, how many times when we get into that are we asking Jesus to lead? Does he have your plan? Does he have the future of your family? Does he have the future of your career? Does he have your tomorrow, not just today? Does he have your plan? Are you keeping the focus, the focus? Because so many times we can do something like this. Let me paint this picture for you when it comes to our life. Jesus is coming over for dinner and we're gonna make him a great meal. And we're like, I'm gonna give Jesus the best meal ever. I go to the store and I buy the best lobster tail there is. I smother it with butter. I go buy a filet mignon. Nice here, beautifully done. Mashed potatoes, mac and cheese, no veggies. It's just this beautiful plate of food. Jesus is coming over and we're gonna present the best meal possible. The, like our life's represented on this plate, everything we are. And we go put it in front of Jesus and Jesus looks at it with the most grace and love, but he says these words, well, I'm, I'm a vegetarian. See, because it's so often in life, we're presenting things to Jesus, presenting our life to him with what we want. It's, it's not about the vegetarian or the meat, it's just saying if we go to him and we say, Jesus, what do you want on your plate for me? 
What do you want on your plate for me to bring to you? So we can prepare that meal the right way. He should be leading in everything we do. But the only way he leads our life is when we stay listening to him. And we stay focused on him. Because around this table, and around this table we just talked about, there was a lot of chairs. And there's four chairs I wanna talk about tonight that are around this table in our life. The first and most important chair, the voice that sits around this table is the chair of Jesus. This Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, he sits at our table and he speaks to us and he talks to us and leads us. But there's other chairs at our table in our life. There's the, the chair of the betrayer, the Judas chair, the chair that turned on Jesus, this, this chair in our life that causes us to reach a selling point, to turn on our morality and, and to, to turn on our following of Jesus, even for just a moment. This chair speaks into our life. There's the third chair here, the chair of the insider, the chair of the disciple, or let's put it in our context, the chair of the church member, the person who, who, who's a follower of Jesus, who speaks into our life, who, who gives us wisdom, who nudges us, us and pushes us. And there's a fourth chair. This chair is called the empty chair. Because this chair is the one that all of us, at some point in our life, are going to set in. This chair right here, it's for you and it's for me. And one day, we're gonna sit in this chair and all of these voices at our table are gonna be speaking. The, the, the church, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they're gonna speak into us. There's gonna be the betrayers in the world, the, the voices that are against God, they're gonna speak to us, the enemy. And then there's the chair of Jesus. And we have to make the decision, who am I gonna listen to at my table? Who, who, what, what voice is gonna be the loudest in the table of my life? Are we gonna allow ourselves to miss the focus and miss what he's doing? Or are we gonna stay focused on Jesus? Because all of us, all of us are gonna have to make the decision when we sit at the table of our life and we're hearing all the noise and, and all the voices, maybe it's the, you know, the church people, that, they're not bad. They're not bad, but there's gonna be times where people are gonna say and do things in the name of Jesus that are gonna be wrong. They're gonna hurt us. There's gonna be times where as your pastor and the staff will do things that will hurt and you and people around each other, we are not perfect. We're messed up people, saved by the grace of Jesus. So if we're looking to that chair for our salvation, we're gonna miss it. There's this chair, the betrayer chair. The world and the voices that are speaking into us, trying to convince us to turn from Jesus, to turn and follow our own desires. If we listen to this chair, we'll find ourselves broken and lonely. But then there's this chair. There's this chair. The chair where Jesus sets in. Every word that leaves his mouth is perfect. It's beautiful, authentic, grace-filled, 
and wonderful. While we sit at the table, all of us are making a decision every day. Who are we gonna listen to today? We need to keep our focus on this chair. We need to keep our focus on Jesus. In the midst of the craziness of Easter and spring break and all of this, we can get distracted or we can keep our focus, Jesus. This is the chair I want to set across from and hear from. This is the chair I want directing my life. This is the chair I want on my side when everything hits the fan. This is the chair that represents the death that covered my sins and the resurrection that brought eternity as a possibility for me. This is the chair that we should all listen to. Challenge for you guys this week. First, I want you to go home and I want you to find a chair. And I want you to sit in it. And I want you to really evaluate your life. What voices are you listening to? What voices are directing your life? What is causing you to lose focus? What's causing you to pull you off track? Go sit in that chair and get to the point where Jesus is the chair you're listening to. And the second thing I want you to do is just as all of us have had the opportunity, even maybe today for the first time to sit in this chair and decide, do we wanna listen to Jesus or not? Maybe this week leading up to Easter, we invite someone over to sit in the chair. Invite someone over for dinner. Introduce them to Jesus. Show them grace, show them love. I know it sounds radical, but you are a Christ follower and it's what you're called to do. You're not exempt from this. We have to get people in the chair so they have the opportunity, amen? Can I pray for you? Father God, we love you and we praise you. Pray that you would just speak today, God, as we leave this place, that you would keep nudging us towards you, that our focus would be on you and you alone, Father. Let us listen to your voice above all the other noises, God. We love you and praise you in your holy name. Amen.